So uh, this letter uh, is from, it's got the seal of the city of Chicago on it, and it's got my name on it, and it says on the outside, important information about your electricity rate. I've had this letter for several months now, and I'll tell you in all honesty that it is unopened. Um, and the reason that it's unopened is, is because I've, I've had a failure of the imagination. The imagination has not worked for me. It's, it's broken down. And the reason is, what's happened is that um, my imagination can see what is unseen. You have an imagination with the same capability. You can see what is unseen. And my imagination is seeing this worst-case scenario that when I open this um, dreaded letter, uh, that I'm going to read bad news, and I'm going to read something like, you know, your rates are going up. Important information about your rates. Well, I guess, guess what that's going to be. Your rates are going to go up. That's what my imagination says, at least. Or maybe your non-winterized house is going to cost you big time this winter. Or, or you know, it's going to be a really bad winter. Get ready, you know. Your Facebook friends are all right, you know. They're, they've been telling you the truth. <laughs> I've been having what some people call an anxiety fantasy. And an anxiety fantasy is, the way we'll define it, is it's a catastrophic vision that sabotages healthy growth. An anxiety fantasy is a, is a catastrophic vision of what is to come. And that catastrophic vision sabotages healthy growth. It would be, it would be good for me to, to open this letter. It would be responsible of me. It, is, it, it behooves me to open this letter. It's addressed to me. It's my life that I'm running from. And that's what an anxiety fantasy does. It's a worst-case scenario that tempts us to run from our own life, run from our own growth, run from our own responsibility. We end up, if we entertain anxiety fantasies, entertain these worst-case scenarios, we end up running from the very things that we are called to run towards. We engage in passive behavior when we should be active. Um, when anxiety fantasies are left unchecked, um, our life itself becomes disregarded as we seek to live a smaller and smaller and safer and safer existence. Never expanding, never taking risk, because what we are living in is a false reality, a phantom story, a phantom vision that has a life of its own in our imagination that calls us constantly to hedge and to shrink. So instead of expanding our life, as our imaginations are, are created to, our imaginations are, are given to us so that our lives can flourish and expand and take more and more responsibility um, with God and, and, and with others in a life of love and courage. But what happens with, when an anxiety fantasy takes over like a virus and then, and then the imagination turns in on itself and, and our life begins to turn out in on itself as well. Um, and so instead of expanding our life, our imagination shrinks our life. Because imagination has taken over, or anxiety has taken over like a virus. Here are some examples. Uh, here's maybe your version of this letter. Um, some of us need to be honest with someone who's important to us. For some of you, it's time to, to pursue marriage with someone that you love. But there's a worst case scenario in your mind of what marriage is going to look like. And so you haven't had the conversation. You haven't been honest with this person. 
that you want to spend the rest of your life with them. For some of us, we need to work out a conflict with a family member. There's this conflict, and it's just, it's just sitting there. And it's, it's on you to seek resolution in that conflict, but you're not seeking resolution for the conflict because in your imagination, you're thinking through all the ways that it could go wrong. And, and, and things getting worse instead of getting better. Or maybe asking for help from a counselor or, or, or a recovery group. You're, you're, not, you're not taking that step because of the worst case scenario in your mind. It's no, 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 it's going to go bad. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be really awful. Or, or maybe, um, maybe you, you have a friendship and you could take that friendship to the next level of vulnerability where you, there would be more love, there would be more trust, there would be more understanding, more joy, but you're like, ah, I'm going to hold back because what if it goes wrong? What if it's not reciprocated? Maybe this friendship is going to backfire on me. I'm just going to keep what I have, play it safe. We don't have that conversation. We imagine rejection playing itself out with our coworkers, with our family, with our friends, with a person that we love. Ah, they're going to reject me. I'll just keep things status quo. Anxiety fantasies keep us from growing, sabotages growth. Or maybe, maybe it's not having an, an honest conversation with someone we care about. Maybe it's taking on a new vocational challenge. Maybe you're called right now to take on a new vocational challenge. You've hit a ceiling at work, and you've grown as much as you're going to grow in your current job. There's no more growth for you in your job. No more challenges. But it's safe, and you're appreciated, and you're given little perks, and your imagination sees, what if I took on a different challenge? Maybe I would lose all of my income. Maybe things would go really fast. Maybe I couldn't do it perfectly and I would fail. I can do this job pretty perfectly. Take on a new challenge. What if I fall on my face? And you can think through all the worst case scenarios of what would happen. Or maybe you have a lack of clarity about what your strengths are, what your calling is and your, your vocation. And you're afraid even to find out what would happen if you let your strengths completely free. What would you look like at, look like at full capacity in your strengths and in your calling? Maybe that vision kind of scares you. You think about, wow, all the responsibility that you would then take on. Would you be able to handle it? Would you be able to manage it? We were created to grow in our responsibility and in our mastery of the world. So why don't we? We entertain anxiety fantasies instead about how we'll lose everything good when we take risks, when we move on to the unknown, when we open the letter. It's going to get bad. It's going to get worse than it is right now. So I'm just not going to open the letter. And I'm not going to grow. And I'm not going to have the conversation. And I'm not going to discover what my strengths are. I'm going to play it safe. Some of us need to say yes to God. That is what we're being kept from. We're aware that God is calling out to us. We're, we're aware that God is, is asking something from us. We know it. Maybe the call is to consider who the person of Jesus is and what his death and resurrection means for you. Or maybe the call is to trust him with more of your life and more of your resources and more of your relationship. And we feel like God wants to free us to greater sacrifice, greater risk, to follow him on his adventure, to follow him on his story to trust him, but our imaginations um, turn from that call into a worst-case scenario. Uh, you know, if I give up my independence, God is going to ruin my life. God is not going to bless my life. He's going to ruin everything good. <laughs> so I'm going to avoid that call. I'm going to ignore that spiritual longing inside. 
And so we, we give God the hand instead of turning to him in his call. Anxiety fantasies picture a world where chaos is more powerful than God, ultimately. Chaos and death is more powerful than God. And so if we move out and risk, chaos will take over us through rejection. Chaos will take over us through failure. Chaos will take over us through death. And so instead of turning to, and hearing God's call in our life to grow and to flourish, we just try to, to stay off of chaos's radar. Don't notice me, chaos. I'm just living my small little life here while I have my stapler at my desk. Don't see me. I'm not taking any risks. I'm just going to have my little unopened letter here in my corner. Don't find me, chaos. Don't, don't raise my electricity rates. As a result, we abnegate responsibility and live smaller lives than God intends. Now, this is a failure of the imagination, and we need help. We need help because our imagination has, has, has failed us. And um, thankfully, we're not the only ones that had to deal with this. This is an age-old problem. And um, we're, we're opening this morning a, a story that whether, you've, whether you're familiar with a Christian tradition or not, you may have heard of it, the David and Goliath story. Now, there's lots of cheeseball David and Goliath sermons out there. There's lots of kitsch around David and Goliath because it's, it's an exciting story. And exciting stories can be manipulated, and that's not my intention at all. But what I want to do is to see what happens with the imagination. I believe that this is, in many, in many instances, a story about the redeemed imagination. A story about the redeemed imagination. A story about courage coming from the imagination rather than anxiety. And that has big implications on a national level. It has big implications on a spiritual level. I want us to see what happened in history when God renewed one person's imagination, one clay-footed, imperfect person, their imagination was renewed and, and things changed for the better. Um, so in the face of threats, here's our question. What does the renewed imagination look like? When we can see the unseen and we're under threat, what does the renewed imagination look like? Does it look like a worst-case scenario playing itself out? Or does it look like something else entirely? Look with me at 1 Samuel 17. Um, now, um, here's the situation with, with, uh, that, that we come to when we open this text. This is a historical book. It's describing the story of God's people, the story of the nation of Israel. And, and God, has, God has led them directly to a place of national strength. Not perfect strength, not, not impenetrable strength, but they're in a good place and they're growing. And one of the major challenges that they're going to have to, to face, one of the problems that, that the nation of Israel needs to eat for breakfast, as it were, is to deal with this, uh, 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 an, um, another nation called the Philistines. The Philistines are, are coming at them from their place of strength, trying to knock them off. And God has called Saul, the, the leader of the nation of Israel and the, and the nation of Israel, to, 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 to fight them off and say, no, you're not going to attack um, our land and our people. You're not going to make us slaves. We're not going back to slavery, even though in some ways that's easier. We're going to take responsibility for stewarding this land. And as a result, we're going to defend ourselves from attack. The Philistines come at them. It's their responsibility. It's their vocational challenge to stand up to the Philistines and say, no, we're not going to be slaves again. Um, God has blessed us. God is with us. God has called us to, to resist you. Um, 
so the Philistines come and they bring a star player uh, and, 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 a, and a shrewd strategy. What they do is they bring this guy named Goliath. And, and, it's, and Goliath is 10 feet tall. It says, um, you can see on page 3 of your bulletins, verse 4, very top, there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose head was six cupids in a span. So over 10 feet tall, right around 10 feet tall. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. So he had all the sponsorships. You know what I mean? He had all, so not only was he a star athlete, he had all those sponsorships. I mean, he had all the, the swag. Um, he was armed with a coat of mail. Uh, not this kind of mail. A better, you know, a, you know armor. And, um, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 uh, 5, shekels of bronze. And he had a, a shield bearer. So there was like a little guy in front of him going, I'm going to defend him. <laughs> so... Okay, so, so, um, so there was a lot of, uh, lot of um, things to be afraid of from, from Goliath. Um, and, uh, and he was a tough guy. But not only this, he would say later, hey, I have a strategy, or I have a, I have a battle suggestion for you, Israel. You send one guy to fight me, and whoever wins that battle of, like, the one-on-one battle, we'll just call it a day, Right? So instead of us clashing armies, where you're going to lose a bunch of people, we're going to lose a bunch of people, forget that. The gods can work it out in a one-on-one battle. And so this is a pagan idea, a pagan idea that like a one-on-one battle was representative, your god versus my god, and, um, and then whoever wins that will just, that's who was going to win the battle anyway, so you just become our slaves or we become your slaves. Um, and so, you know, not only is Goliath coming in with his, with his huge uh, battle gear and his, and his huge strength and his intimidating words. He's also coming with this kind of pagan idea of battling. And, and he's, inv- he's inviting Israel to, to, to engage with their imaginations on both. Be afraid of me, and here, I'm going to set the terms for you as well. Um, and Israel was called to resist both as well. Um, so um, it was the job of Saul to stand up to Goliath. Don't think of Goliath as like a comic book strip exciting person to fight. Think of Goliath as a vocational challenge. Think of Goliath as the responsibility of Saul to confront. Think of Goliath as the, as the work, as work, good work that, that the nation of Israel, the armies of Israel were called to a vocation, which is to, to, to off this guy. That was their job. And it was, their, it was the job of their imaginations to see that that was their job and to see that God was with them. But what did they do? Look with me in... Verse 11, they were, first of all, breakdown of the imagination. Do you have verse 11? I'll read it to you. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were dismayed. They were dismayed. They were afraid of dying at the hands of Goliath. They were, they were afraid of serving the Philistines. What if we served the Philistines? Oh, what would they do to us after all that we've, we've been fighting with them? And they're certainly going to be cruel to us and to our wives and our children. So the battle was lost between the ears first. As it always is, the battle is lost in the imagination. Um, they engaged in catastrophic storytelling that sabotaged their growth as a nation. Catastrophic visions of the future that, that made them think and feel smaller. I can't flourish here. I just got to shrink down into my little hole and just kind of avoid that big Goliath guy. And then verse 24, you can see that there in your bulletins. It's all by itself. And the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him 
and were much afraid. They were, they, were fle- they were fleeing from the person. They were called to flee towards. They were shrinking from the life that God had called them to. And the result ultimately would have been death and slavery. That would ultimately have been uh, the result of this failure of the imagination. So, so enter David. As I said, a, a regular person, flesh and blood person. Um, he's a keeper of the sheep. He's a young guy. Um, he's, he's a nobody. No one knows him. And that's okay because this is ultimately not about him. He belongs to God. He's been listening to God. He's full of the promises of God. And he comes into the situation with a renewed imagination. It's been discipled. It's been developed. It has seen what is he's supposed to see. Um, and he takes responsibility where others won't. He stands up where others won't because his imagination is connected to God and connected to what God has said. And he says in verse 32, you can see that there, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. So don't let Goliath's empty threats create an anxiety fantasy in anyone here. Let not anxiety fantasies exist here. Let that not happen. Because there's something better to meditate upon, and I'll tell you what it is. And here's what David is going to teach us. He teaches us that the promises of God transform our anxiety fantasies into a courageous vision. The promises of God, when we digest them, when our imaginations will see them and be formed around them, the promises of God transform our anxiety fantasies into a courageous vision. And we all need that to happen. Um, The most basic promise of God, there are many of them in Scripture, but I want to read to you the first words of God to man. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And then he blessed humanity. That's what happened when, when God first encountered humanity. That's what he said. Hey, I've got a job for you. And you're going to flourish in it. He said a very similar thing to, to Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless the world through you. Abraham, you're not just a, some guy made to live out your small life. I've got a job for you, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless the world through you. That is, at its core, the basic promise of God. There are many others in scriptures, and it's good to meditate on them. But I believe David knew this. David knew that God would bless him. And so David practiced this. He practiced a renewed imagination as he took this blessing to heart in his previous years as a shepherd. Here's what he says. Um, He says um, in verse 34, your servant used to keep the sheep for his father. Okay, a vocation, a job, a calling. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him. Can you imagine doing that? Now, he said, a lion or a bear. I'm afraid of rats, people. (laughs) Can you imagine going after a lion or a bear, running towards them, going, I'm not just going to avoid you, I'm actually going to go after you. And then he says, delivered the lamb out of his mouth. Come on. 
How do you do that? Well, David figured it out. <laughs> he believed God was with him. And then he says, if that's not enough, if he rose against me, if the lion or the bear rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Incredible courage. Incredible courage from someone who believed God was with him and that he had a job to do. And it was his role as a shepherd to rise up and protect the sheep. That's what a shepherd does. That's not what a little boy does. That's what a shepherd does. And David grew up. And David went after the lion and the bear with the sure knowledge that God was with him. The promises of God turned what would have been an anxiety fantasy into a vision that was courageous. Courageous enough to go, hey, lion, boom! Give me my sheep back, fool! (laughs) Now, embedded in this, is an obedience. This is not David's kingdom. David did not give himself the promise. That's a pagan idea. And you'll hear that a lot if you just listen to the spirit of the age. It's, hey, what are your desires? Let them rise up and become reality. That's a pagan idea. That's not what God said. God said, fill the earth and and subdue it. And I, and I will bless you. And embedded in that is, you need to obey my command. You're not running your own show here. This is about me. I'm going to bless you, yes. And I'm going to bless the world through you, yes, on my terms. And that is the terms that David accepted and that he was carrying out. Now read verses 30. So anyway, this played itself out in his real life, and we need it to. We need to see that God is with us. We need to see that we do not need to fear what everyone else fears. We need to see that we are created for growth and change. We need to see our, our growth not sabotaged by anxiety. As we own the promises of God and step forward, even though our heart is quivering, and see God bless us and see God bless the world through us, see our capacities grow, and see change as God has designed it. Okay, so David had that. He, his, his, his imagination had been renewed, and now he, he's, he's ready to confront Goliath. And here's what he says, um, uh, here's what he says uh, as Goliath approaches him. Goliath makes it all about him. Did you notice this um, in the reading? Uh, verse 42, when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come with me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by the gods. And then he said later, come to me and I will give you to the flesh, give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Do you notice what what Goliath is doing? It's all about you and me and it is all about now. It's, 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 It's about you and it's about me and it's about now. David had a bigger vision formed by the promises of God and he said to Goliath, verse 46, Uh, Sorry, verse 45. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Do you notice that David makes it about God? Hey, Goliath, this is God's world and God's army and God's battle. I'm his representative called to stand up to you, yes, but that's only because the other guys didn't. This is about God's name and God's glory being defended. And, 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 and expanding. And when God's glory expands, Goliath, if you stand against it, it's going to swallow you. 
And if need be, it's going to swallow you in the form of my stone. I'm going to chop your head off. But it's not about me. It's not about me and you. This is about God. The promise of God to fill and uh, to, to, to be with David, to bless the world through David, was, was transforming his imagination. And the rest is history, right? The rest is history. You know what happens. David goes up to him, and the sling went round and round, okay? And the stone uh, went right into the heart of, of, of Goliath's head, prefiguring what Jesus would do with Satan. Gave him a head wound, and he fell down. David chopped off his head, and the Philistine army runs. And do you know what happens with courage? Do you know what happens when your imagination is filled with courage and you... And you, and you act with that courage, it's contagious. Just like cowardice is contagious. Courage is contagious. And it spread like wildfire through the whole people of God. And they rallied. And and they pushed the Philistines back as they were made to do. This is not about bravado. This is about doing your job. This is about expanding, growing for the life of the world, not for your own comfort. And it was happening. Finally, Israel was taking up its vocation because its imagination had been renewed from one of anxiety to one of courage. Now, the Goliath that threats every one of us is death. Let's just be honest about that. Um, I got news this, this week that someone I love very much has melanoma, pretty serious. And it shook me. It shook me so hard. And I realized that I needed the promises of God because it, uh, it, th- it really threatened my, it threatened my very life. It threatened my very courage. And death does that. Death laughs at us and comes at us and says, who are you? You think you're so special? Oh, man, just give me 40 years with you. Just give me 50 years with you and everyone you love. You're going to die, and so are they, in ways that mm, you're going to feel it. Death laughs at us. De- death, death stands 10 feet tall against us. And, and it taunts our desire to grow. And it taunts our desire to have eternal significance. It laughs at us, and it threatens us. As we grow and flourish, it kind of threatens us in the background. And I think... A lot of these fears that we mentioned at the beginning, fears of being rejected or fears of failure or even other fears, death, fear of death is kind of behind that fear. And this is the great insight of Ernest Becker in his book, The Denial of Death. So many of the things that we do, we're just trying to deal with our fear of death. And it got David. Death got David. David killed one Goliath, but then the other Goliath came and swallowed him up. Um, so we need what one preacher called a better and truer David. A better and truer David. One that David was pointing towards. Jesus was sent by God to deliver us from slavery and deliver us from our anxieties. Um, and, and he was sent by God to slay our worst enemy because we cannot stand up to death. We will lose that battle. Um, and God blessed him. When Jesus was around 30 years old, God blessed him in front of, in front of many people and, and said, you are my beloved son, and in you I am well pleased. And, um, and, and, and Jesus believed him. Jesus internalized that promise his whole life. He was never disconnected from his father. He was always living in that place of, oh, God has blessed me. I am God's son. And, and, and when I face Goliath, he's going to be with me. And... and um, 
And Jesus carried that with him into battle. And he was taunted and he was tortured and he was, he was publicly executed on a Roman cross, bigger than this one, but in the same shape. It was a spiritual and physical battle and it, and, and it was a battle that he did appear to lose. His mangled body um, was entombed and, um, and it lay there and it began to smell. And just think about like that, uh, three, three days of just a tortured, mangled, smelly body, that does not look like the second person of the Trinity. That does not look like a victorious hero. That does not look like you won the battle. That looks like chaos did take over. And I think for many of us who are going through some kind of battle with death, it does feel like chaos is taking over. It's a worst case scenario come true. The body of Jesus who promised us eternal life, rotting, tortured, unhealed, his flesh sticking to the tomb. Three days later, God made good on his promise. I will bless you and I will bless the nations through you. And he raised Jesus from the dead and gave him a body that was both physical and indestructible. And in so doing, he gave Jesus the ability to raise anybody else from the dead that would publicly confess that Jesus is Lord. Anybody else the ability. Billions and billions of people who would confess the name of Jesus and follow him would be raised from the dead and live forever in the presence of God a rich and embodied existence. More beautiful than we can even imagine. Death lost. The ultimate David defeated the ultimate Goliath. Took the sheep out of his, out of his fangs and brought them back and said, live forever. That's what God promises us in Jesus. That's the hero that we need. The threat of death um, is uh, the, the, the threat of death is taken away by Jesus. So when God says, I will bless you and I will bless the nations through you, be fruitful and multiply, this promise is not just for the time in our life when we're not a kid anymore and we're um, too old to do anything. Um, the, that is a promise over our entire existence, over our entire eternal existence. Not only for this short time on this side of death, but also for the long time on the other side of death the long and the rich time. For those of us who have confessed Jesus as our victor, as our hero, God's promises are our promises, and we can own them, and we can believe them, and we can live as if they were true, because they are. And they will transform, those promises of God will transform our anxiety fantasies into a courageous vision, and it will open up our life and our growth and our flourishing. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress tells a story of... of, uh, two men. It's an allegory about two men who are, who are going from a pretty small existence um, where they don't know God um, and they don't have eternal life. Um, he's ta- and it's about their adventure to the celestial city um, where they meet God and where they, where they live forever. But along the way, um, there's, a, there's a giant called Despair and he, he beats them within an inch of their life and he puts them in a dungeon. And, um, and they're in utter despair. They're on the verge of suicide, which Let's be honest, that's where a lot of anxiety leads people, leads them to a place of suicide sometimes. And um, right before they do, they, they enter a time of prayer, and they pray all night. And in the morning, Christian notices that there's something in his pocket that has been there all along, and it's called the key of promise. 
And the key of promise is what delivers them from this dungeon. And it's the promises of God, the things that God has already said that are true, that unlocks that prison gate. They're able to escape. They're able to go free. They're able to live courageously again. I just got to say that it's time. It is just time to find out what's in here. Dear customer, we have received notice that your electric supplier of choice is being changed to RES name. This change will take place within two business days. No more tormenting me. So, the question we're asking is how do we recover from that? Um, okay. Whether it's someone you need to have a hard conversation with, whether it's the next vocational challenge, whether it's saying yes to God, it is time to own the promises of God. They are true for you. God says to you, I will bless you, and I will bless the world through you. That's going to involve tracking the bear down and grabbing him by his beard. So who's the person you need to call? What's the situation you're avoiding? What's the vocational challenge? Who's the competitor you need to take on directly? What is God calling you to do? How is he calling you to respond to him? That's the ultimate challenge. God's blessing, God's promises. This morning, promise us to turn our anxiety fantasies into a courageous vision. And I pray that he will do that for you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.